Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast. For this week, we talk about the latest Marvel project on Disney+. Plus. We talk about a remade DC movie that is four hours long. I go on a little bit of a soapbox, and something else is discussed in this episode. That's right, this week we talk about the first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're going to do a week delay on all the Marvel episodes moving forward, just so, you know, people have, like, an actual chance of watching it, um, rather than me talking about it, like, four days later, we'll talk about it, like, a week later. And hey, isn't that great? Um, we also talk about the Snyder Cut for the Justice League movie. I watched it, so you don't have to, or you might, depending on, uh, what you think of the review. Uh, we're going to talk about clowns at the very end of the podcast, um, and even if you don't like clowns, you should probably listen to it, because that's kind of the whole point of the soapbox. And um, I also played a shit ton, well not a shit ton, I played th- two PlayStation 5 games and uh, the sequel to Persona 5, Persona 5 Strikers, which I got for PC. And that's it. It's a, it's not a lot of subject matter this time around, but we do talk about things quite a bit. So there's a lot to dive into on that front. But if you like the Going Up cast, wish to support the Going Up cast, feel free to go to patreon.com forward slash Going Up cast, where you can get access to the movie commentary tracks. We just uploaded Goblet of Fire not that long ago, and Order of the Phoenix is, I'm sure, going to happen here fairly soon. Um, and yeah, that'd be that'd be a really great way to, to support. Also, f- please share the podcast with, with your friends and stuff. That'd be great, too. Um, it's, been, it's been a long week. Over and over my neck, the woods, but uh, it's you know, it is what it is. Things are good, and I hope you're all doing well. And that's enough of me rambling. Let's get into this podcast. All right, it is time to talk about everybody's favorite new Disney Plus show, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I can't go higher than that because I was gonna say it's late, late at night, it's eight o'clock. Anyway, the first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier has been witnessed by me. I know I'm a, a week behind, and I will forever be a week behind because of how the podcast is going. Anyway, um, it's okay. Uh, it seems to be spending, the first episode at the very least, spent the vast majority of its time basically setting up what Falcon and Winter Soldier were up to since the presumed couple of weeks it's been since Endgame. So this one is, uh, this is a little after WandaVision, um, in terms of the canon. WandaVision has, has wrapped up in the MCU, um, when Winter Soldier starts. So that's fun. Um, we got a little bit of War Machine. Don Cheadle was there in the first episode. I thought that was awesome. I would love to see more of him, quite frankly. Uh, but I guess not. What this, what's kind of bothering me about this this phase four stuff is that there's no sense of leadership like everybody's just kind of gone to the winds you know there's no there's no real unity like at the end of endgame there was this massive show of force with the avengers like just a whole fucking slew of people this amazing roster and now everybody's gone their own separate ways again like the Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor have taken off from the planet. You know, Iron Man's dead. Captain America, according to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, is dead. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think what is most likely there... I believe the story is that Captain America is dead. Because how else could they explain how Cap is suddenly, like... 
his proper age. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't think Cap's dead. I think he's just old. And they said he was dead so they could just kind of like let him have his peace. Because he might as well be as far as him being Captain America is concerned. But he's just old man Steve Rogers now. Um, I'm pretty sure is what's going on there. Um, so yeah, like the, the core group, Hawkeye's off training his successor, um, Black Widow's dead, you know, like it's, it's all just kind of gone away or they're so busy focused on leading their own tenants of society. Like Dr. Strange is off keeping, keeping those people together. So, and then of course, Wanda lost her mind and did WandaVision. And now we've got Falcon who uh, appears to be doing what the Sokovian Accords kind of was all about. He's He gets a mission um, that's like UN approved and then he goes and takes care of it. And we got some cool action scenes with that and I thought that was a lot of fun. And then Bucky is over on the other side of the, uh, the fence. He got pardoned by the United States government um, and he's trying to make amends for all of the fucking horrible things he did as the Winter Soldier. Um... And that's basically episode one. Uh, Falcon gives the shield to the Smithsonian, only for the U.S. government to whip around and invent the new Captain America. Um, I forget what that dude's name is, but he is uh, a comic book character known as U.S. Agent. Um, and his story is kind of a sad one. He's he's this guy who had a rough upbringing um, and then gets brought in to be Captain America uh, but then he's like, he kind of free wheel, uh, wills it a little bit and doesn't do something or gets brainwashed by an enemy to kill his parents or something like that. And essentially what happens to us agent is that he gets like brainwashed, like a motherfucker into being like this air quotes, idealized version of Captain America that does exactly what the United States government wants him to do. Um, and so he has a rough story. Um, but it's also not a very in-depth or long story. So I'm guessing that U.S. agent here is only going to be around for, you know, this this season of Winter Soldier. And by the end of this show, uh, Sam will have taken on the, the mantle of Captain America in full, is, is my guess. Uh, because Falcon becoming Captain America um, is, I mean, that's just comic book standard is what that is. Um, same with, uh, I mean, Bucky at some point was also Captain America. In the comic books, so there you go. Um, I thought the show had its funny moments. I think uh, Sebastian Stan is doing a phenomenal job as Bucky. He's got this wonderful dry sense of humor <laughs> and this this great delivery that makes it a joy to watch him be Bucky. Um, and I, I, I get that it's realistic. Um, and I'm always down to see more people deal with the fallout of the blip. Loan practices and finance is not something I ever wanted to see from the blip. And I didn't care about any of that. We've got to save the family shrimp boat. I don't give a fuck about the family shrimp boat. That doesn't interest me at all. So, yeah, I mean, meh. Um, it's also worth noting that this uh, show is going to be shorter than um, WandaVision. I believe it's... We've got six episodes left so i think it's a seven episode show i want to say or it's six episodes and we have five left let's let me just double check that falcon and the winter soldier so it's it's less episodes than wandavision but it's also each episode is longer than wandavision so they're about an hour long for falcon and the winter soldier when they were about a half hour long 
for WandaVision. So we get less individual episodes, but they're longer. And I prefer this, quite frankly, um, because then, like, the show is over sooner because there's only, you know, X amount of episodes. Is it seriously not? We'll run for six episodes. Okay, so we've we've seen the first episode. There's five left, which means there's five hours left of the show. Um, I prefer that, quite frankly, because then it'll be done, and then we get the making of, and then it's Loki's turn, um, is, is what happens then. Actually, I think Black Widow comes out, um, after this show is done. So I think, I think it's this show, the making of Black Widow, the making of Black Widow, and then Loki starts in May, I think is how the actual schedule goes. Um, I thought the show, it started off well, um... I think I preferred the start to WandaVision because WandaVision just had this, like, charm to it. I know the first episode was just that sitcom stuff. Um, and if it wasn't for that Twilight Zone ending at the end of it where it's, like, all kind of creepy and stuff, it wouldn't have had really anything going for it to make me want to keep watching it. But thankfully, it you know, it did. And I fucking loved WandaVision. I thought WandaVision was amazing. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how Falcon and the Winter Soldier goes. Uh, but so far, it does not seem all that different from, like, any other, like, action-y, political thriller show um, that I've seen. There's still a couple of pretty major characters to have show up in this show, including the main bad guy of the show, uh, Helmet Zemo, who was the bad guy in Civil War, along uh, Sharon Carter, I believe her name is, who is uh, the grandniece of uh, Agent Peggy Carter who was a founding member of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, looking forward to seeing them make their appearance. I'm also looking forward to Bucky and Winter Soldier getting together to do some ass-kickery because that's kind of the whole point of the show for me. Um, I'm also curious if they're going to do something with U.S. Agent or if U.S. Agent is going to have, like, a B-plot all on his own and, like, self-destruct without their influence. Um, that'd be That'd be interesting as well. I'm not entirely sure. We're going to find out. And we're going to find out very quickly, because it's only five weeks left. But, uh, liked it so far? Let's see where it goes. Moving on to the next thing in the podcast. So, I have finally gotten my hands on three video games that I have been chomping at the bit to play. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the first... Uh, at the very least, I've played each of these games for at least an hour. Um, I believe I've played the two on PlayStation 5 for about three hours each at this point. Um, and then the one I got on PC uh, for about an hour. So we're going to talk about the PlayStation 5 games first. Um, I got my hands on Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and Demon's Souls, the, re- the remake not really remastering because it's like they recreated the game from the ground up i think on a whole new engine um so we'll talk about that one first i'm a huge fan of the uh souls born from soft games i've played demon souls or not demon souls i played dark souls one two and three um i'm still playing bloodborne and i quit sekiro um but i fucking loved the dark Souls series uh i've beaten those games a couple of times each i would say and Demon Souls is very similar to Dark Souls, um, especially in terms of how it plays. It's a lot more forgiving than Dark Souls, though. That's that's the biggest thing I've taken away from it. The fall damage 
that you can like you can fall an incredible distance in this game and the damage you take is inconsequential the damage you take from most of the piddling enemies that you encounter in a level is also pretty minimal at least it is for me i'm not sure if it changes with playstyle but i chose a knight um to start the game which is my my default choice for the dark souls games uh because i love the the sword and board tank of that character and um, I am sword and boarding all over the place. And if you're not familiar with what that term means, it basically means I have my big fucking shield. I hold it in front of me. Character bounces off the shield. I wait for them to stagger. And then I whack them a bunch with my sword. Back off a little bit. Put my shield up. Wait for them to hit it. Back and forth like that. Um, it's, it's, it's a slower pace of the game. But I am able to use that strategy and get through every encounter no problem so it is it is i i I don't know if this game is easier or if it's just that i have a lot of experience with these games and so i know what it takes to beat them i'm not sure to me it's easy so if you've had experience with soulsborne games i don't think you're going to struggle with this one at least not in the beginning um again i've just started it today and so i'm not Entirely sure if the di- I'm sure the difficulty is going to scale, but as the game goes on, I too will get more powerful. So it's also it's kind of like you know pros and cons. I don't know, um, but so far it's it's very easy. The game looks incredible. I mean, just the 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 graphical quality on this is superb. Um, it has made me realize I want a larger TV, uh, which is uh which is a thing. Um, I mean, I could get a bigger TV, but it's like. I don't know what I'm going to do with this TV. My my instinct is to migrate it over as a desktop monitor, but my desk is not big enough for that. Um, my desk can barely fit the two monitors I have, and if I was to bring that behemoth over here, um, I would have no room. Um, I would have to move some stuff in order to make room for that being another monitor, and uh, I don't need a bigger TV. But... The, the, like, the distance between the TV and myself and the, the amount of detail on this this game that I want to be able to see, um, this screen's not really big enough uh, to fully appreciate this game, at least in my opinion. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a gorgeous game. Music's a lot of fun. It plays really well. Uh, I, I'm, I never played the original, so I don't know what kind of quality of life changes there were, but it feels a lot like Dark Souls. It really does. It feels... It feels very similar to Dark Souls, at least in terms of playstyle for me. Um, obviously, the world is different uh, as it is with all of those games, um, but by and large, mechanic-wise, it's pretty good. You get your souls; your souls allow you to level up or buy or upgrade your gear. Uh, and if you die, you got to go pick up your souls, just like every other fucking version of these games. Enemies respawn when you use bonfires, or in this case, I believe they're called Arkenstones or something like that. Um, so that's all that's all familiar and comfortable and um i i think it's so far it's a lot of fun um you you can't level up until you beat the first boss probably one of the easiest bosses i've ever fought in any souls game um if it, it felt i mean you're basically just punching a ball of slime um and it can't really do anything to stop you it's got some shields and stuff but if you just light that bastard on fire it's over in like a minute and like I barely took damage from that fight it was so easy um so that's fun and then as soon as you do that and talk to the weird creepy baby 
Um, you have full reign over the entire game, basically. You go to any of the, the five main locations of the game. I believe there's a sixth one, but I haven't unlocked that one yet. Uh, I presume you unlock that one at the end uh, after you fill the other five stations. Um, I don't know anything about this game in terms of lore or story or bosses or areas or anything. Um, and I'm intentionally ignoring all those things because I want to be surprised by this game and I want to explore it on my own. Um, and it's 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 phenomenal. The, the map structure of this game is similar to Souls, uh, Dark Souls in that it definitely will loop back in on itself and there's a lot of shortcut porn. Um, but it also will present you with an option of like four different directions to go. One of those directions is assuredly progression and the other three are not. And they usually end with like a mini boss or an item or something like that, that you absolutely don't have to explore, but it's good that you do because that's how you get souls and stuff and things. Um, and what's great about all those side missions is that at least in the beginning, um, it probably takes less than five minutes to reach the end of any one of those alternate paths. Um, so you're not you're not deviating from the main path for too long. Um, but it is it is a nice, fun little jaunt. Uh, so it feels like the game is massive, but then you get the satisfaction of exploring all of these side paths pretty quickly. Um, and then you're able to resume doing what you were doing before. And I love that. Because it's like, oh, what's going on over here? Oh, I got a, a fucking scimitar or some shit. And then you just turn around and go right back to where the fuck you were. And there's no fear in backtracking because you killed all of the enemies to get to where you were. So it's just like fantastic. And then you get to keep going. So yeah, right now I'm loving Demon Souls. Um, I've only died to like just dumb bullshit mini bosses and stuff like that that I couldn't figure out how to get past and you don't have if you don't you know that's the great the, the path ends in a mini boss that you can't fight well then fucking just leave him there you can just come back later he's always going to be there so even even if you did beat him as soon as you sit down in the bonfire he's technically there again so who really gives a fuck um but I'm, I'm liking it so far i'm liking it quite a bit and it feels it feels amazing and it looks great um and the the game takes advantage of the uh the adaptive triggers and the haptic feedback that the dual sense controller provides just like spider-man miles morales and that's my segue however um in both of these games the 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 functionalities of the controllers are not as aggressively present as they are in astro's playroom and therefore they're fairly forgettable um they don't really feel like they add a whole lot to the game um because they are so subtle that you kind of forget it's there after a while. Um, at least it doesn't make its presence known any more than a normal vibrating controller does. Sorry, my computer was making noises, so I had to punch it. Um, that's that's my assessment of it. Others, other people might have different uh, viewpoints on those those controllers, but that's kind of my takeaway of it. Um, is that it feels basically the same as any other controller. Um, uh, and I would say like. The only time I'm really noticing the 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 trigger stuff is on Spider-Man um, and during the web swinging, and even then it's very subtle. It's like it's like a little bit, like right at the end, it's just like a little bit of of you utilizing the um the triggers. And the problem with fucking Demon Souls is that the the main attack button is the bumper, not the trigger. So you don't really you don't really ever use it. Um, unless you're strong attacking, which is not something I, I do very often. Um, Spider-Man Miles Morales is basically just Spider-Man again, 
but slightly different. So if you liked Spider-Man on the PlayStation 4, you're going to like Spider-Man Miles Morales because it's basically the same game. There's only so much you can do to New York City to make it different. Um, and this game's method to make New York City different was to set it in winter uh, during the holidays. So yeah, like the game starts on Christmas Eve. Um, and it's it's so blatantly obvious that like this game was supposed to have been played when the console launched in early November of last year because it's a Christmas game and it's supposed to get you all excited for the holidays. Um, and obviously, I did not get a PlayStation 5 during the holidays, like the vast majority of people who wanted a PlayStation 5 um, because of a million reasons. Uh, but the game is fine uh, because it's Spider-Man. Web swinging still feels as amazing as it did before. Uh, the characters are slightly different because obviously you're playing as Miles Morales. So instead of it being like MJ and Peter's, uh, roster of villains, it is Miles's, uh, mom and best friend Genki, who is just his guy in the chair and his best friend from childhood, presumably Finn, um, and you get a different podcast to listen to and there are different collectibles to get instead of backpacks, there are time capsules and stuff like that. Um, basically those sorts of changes where it's like Peter loves McDonald's, but Miles is a Burger King kid. Essentially the same shit, just flavored differently. Like that's, that's this game. It's basically just Spider-Man again, but a little different. And that's, that's the, that's basically all you can say about it. It's not bad. It's just the same, but a little different, um, is, is what's up here. It is not nearly as transformative as some other sequels I've played. Like the difference between Batman Arkham Asylum and Batman Arkham City is like night and fucking day because Asylum was a linear ass game. Great story. You could beat the whole thing in like seven hours, uh, but it's super linear. Arkham City is a lot more open world. The map is way bigger. The villains you face are a lot more varied. Like, there's a whole bunch of other shit going on in Arkham City. It, it fucking changes the game in a really great way. Um, and that's like, you know, that's a, that's a significant difference. Um, or the difference between like Diablo and Diablo 2. Now, I don't know if this is supposed to be a sequel or like expanded DLC for the first game, because it's so similar to the first game that to call it a sequel would be a lie. In my opinion, yes, it's a new story. Yes. You're playing a different character. Yes. That character has slightly different abilities than the, than the other guy. And yeah, there are a lot of quality of life improvements to the game. Like, instead of you randomly stumbling upon crime and then fucking it up and then having that crime, like, take forever to come back, there's a goddamn app in your your fucking phone in this game that tells you exactly where the crime is and where it is and how and what's going on so you can go take care of that crime. And it's a very clear list of, like, here's all the crime, here's all your optional side shit because people are asking for your help, you take care of it, you did it. Now continue on with the main quest. It's very straightforward. And that was not in the first game. Um, and I'm, I very much enjoy that. Although it does basically just give you a shopping list. Um, so instead of you randomly coming across crime and feeling like, a, oh, oh, it's a spontaneous event. 
This is like, this house is being broken into. And it will be continuously broken into until you go over to that specific area and stop the crime. And it's always there and it's always ready for you to stop it. No matter what's happening in the game, that crime's occurring and you can go take care of it whenever the fuck you want. So there, there's that sort of, sort of mentality. Um, I would call this glorified DLC because it's not as long as the first game. Uh, at least that's what I've heard. But I'm also basically sitting there and doing my best to get all of my collect-a-thons. Now, the reason I can say, from my experience, that it's not a long game is I've played it for about three hours and I'm already a third of the way done with the game. Um, and that is shocking to me um, that this is like a 10-hour game. If you mainline the main quest and skip all of the extra bonus shit, it seems like you could beat this game in probably a day. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And to this game's credit, it is about $10 less than every other major AAA release. Probably because it is a much shorter game. Um, provided you don't do all the collectathons and stuff like that, but... I like the collect-a-thon, so it's probably going to take me a little bit longer. I am enjoying it, but it is basically a Spider-Man, but a little different. Uh, the final game I've gotten my hands on uh, of late that I very much wanted to play was Persona 5 Strikers. And after doing a little bit of research, I finally figured I should just get it on PC because everything looks best on PC because it's PC. Um, and this is a... This is a sequel to Persona 5. Um, to the best of my knowledge, it takes place six months, uh, let's find out, six months after the, the, the core game, um, double checking, set half a year after the events of the original Persona 5. Um, so, as far as the characters are concerned, everybody's kind of just gone up a year, um, from the start of Persona 5 to the start of Persona 5 Strikers. So, Makoto, um... Makoto? 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 Is that your fucking name? Yeah, it's Makoto, right? I'm not fucking blanking on this shit. It's Makoto. Makoto. I'm why am I why am I questioning this? Um it's Makoto. Yeah, Makoto, okay. Makoto's in college and An and Ryuji are third years in high school and all that stuff. And Futaba goes to school now and um, Haru is also in college, and Joker's been off, presumably, with his original family, but he's come back to stay with um, Sarjuro for a summer vacation, and pretty much the next day after Joker comes back, they get into some Phantom Thieves shit, and then the whole thing just opens up. The big difference between Persona 5, which was a turn-based RPG, and Persona 5 Strikers is that Persona 5 Strikers follows the Dynasty Warriors style of combat, or Hyrule Warriors, which is basically you just have fields upon fields of enemies, and you are this overpowered god being with, like, swords and guns and your personas, and you just annihilate fields of bullshit um, in combat. Now, I love this change. Um, I love the turn-based combat a, a lot. Don't get me wrong. And when, when you new game plus Persona 5 or Persona 5 Royal... And you can just romper stomp all over like the first three palaces because your gear is over leveled. Um, it's the best feeling in the world. And you can just enjoy the amazing story. Um, but this combat is so fucking refreshing. Um, and it's just a blast. 
You get, you, like, you get in there and you feel so powerful just blowing the doors off of these fucking guys. And it's, it's incredible. Um, the game really doesn't do much for you if you have not played the first one. If you haven't played the first one, you're kind of sitting there being like, what's going? Who's the, who are these people? Because the first, the, like, if you haven't played Persona 5, this game's just going to hit different. And for me, it hits like a goddamn high school reunion almost. It's, it's so, it like that first like 30 minutes of the game where you see everybody again and they talk about how much they missed you and you see Sojiro and you go back to your old room and everybody's just chatting and having a great time and they're talking about going camping and shit it is the it was so cozy it was it was like being wrapped in a blanket in front of a fireplace it was just like oh my god this all the music's the same and it's just it was so nice except when the combat kicked in and it was like a revamped version of the combat song with like an electric guitar and shit and i was like oh fuck this is awesome so as a as a diehard persona 5 fan um it is my third all-time favorite game i i now i mean i own persona 5 and i have persona 5 royal i bought the exact same well it's not the exact same game but i i spent you know spent a lot of money on persona 5 franchise um i even have a, a persona 5 mug like i love this game Persona 5 Strikers is, like, everything I could have asked for in a sequel. It has all of the great, like, RPG elements that I loved about Persona 5. Uh, except for the romance stuff, which I'm okay with. Because, to be quite frank, I barely did that stuff in Persona 5. And, um, if I, if I wanted, like, a romance RPG, I would just play Persona 5 Royal. Which gives you even more time to, to romance people. Um, I don't know how long this game is in terms of its calendar thing because just like persona 5 you basically play out each calendar day uh for x amount of time in persona 5 uh it's from like april to the end of the year and then a couple of days in the following year and then in persona 5 royal uh you do unlock that third trimester um and play that out provided you do like a million things in order to earn it uh that i believe involves talking to the guidance counselor or something i'm not entirely sure what it takes to actually unlock the third trimester but it is possible um and with my rudimentary knowledge of persona 5 royal because i haven't technically beaten that version of the game yet um there are a couple of characters introduced in that game who haven't made an appearance in strikers so i think this is a sequel to the original game and not the revamped royal version that came out later um so yeah i, I mean i'm I'm loving it so far. Um, and it's on PC, so I can, like, you know, watch movies and stuff while I do that. Instead of when I'm playing PlayStation 5 stuff, it's kind of... I'm just, like, dedicated to that because I don't have, like, a second TV or a split screen or something like that. You basically, when you play a Persona, uh, PlayStation 5 game, it's just like, that's what you do for right now. So, there you go. Um, I mean, they're all so vastly different. And I will play all of them. Um, I believe Persona 5 Strikers is the longest of those games. Uh, let's find out how long to beat Persona 5 Strikers. Uh, according to howlongtobeat.com, the main story takes 34 hours. Um, and if you do a completionist run, it takes about 64 hours. Which, even at completionist, is about half the runtime of Persona 5. Uh, Persona 5, at least for me, took 120 hours. Um, the main story of Persona 5, 
uh, just takes 97 and a half hours. Uh, with extras, it's 112. The longest version of any of these games is Persona 5 Royal, which takes 103 hours. Um, however, the completionist version of Persona 5, according to the same website, is 173 hours. So, Persona 5 Strikers is the second shortest Persona 5 game um, beaten out by Persona 5 Dancing in Starlight. Uh, Demon Souls takes... the This version takes about 24 hours to beat. Um, or 55 and a half hours to completionist. And then Spider-Man Miles Morales uh, takes... Uh, <laughs> yeah, Spider-Man Miles Morales takes seven and a half hours. Um, the completionist version takes about 17, which is how long the main story was for the original Spider-Man game. So it is it is the shortest of all the all, all the games I've just gotten. So that is a that is good to know. I could probably beat Spider-Man tomorrow if I really wanted to. Um, and then I would question its fifty dollar uh, price tag way more aggressively if I if I just beat that tomorrow. Um, and Persona Five is definitely going to take Persona Five is I'm gonna I'm gonna take my time with Persona Five Strikers. I really want to enjoy that game. Um, yeah. That's that's the video game segment of uh, of the podcast. Let's move on to the next thing. Four hours later, Zack Snyder's cut of the Justice League movie on HBO Max has been witnessed by me, and it's all right. Um, it's it's probably the best DC movie since. Dark Knight Rises. Um, it is it is easily my favorite of the of the DC extended universe movies um, that started with Man of Steel in 2013. Um, for uh, for for context, I've only seen Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and now Snyder's cut of the Justice League. Never saw Aquaman, never saw Wonder Woman, never saw Wonder Woman 2, never saw Suicide Squad, never saw any of that shit. Um, just, just those three movies. Uh, and, and if you, if you ask me, I will tell you straight out that I love DC comics. I, I, I love Batman. Um, there are, there are a bunch of pieces of DC media that are some of my all-time favorite pieces of media, like the original Teen Titans show. The new Harley Quinn show, DC Universe Online, fucking love that game. Just you know, there's there's a lot of DC stuff that I've consumed. All the Batman games, like the Arkham games. Oh man, I love I love DC. Uh, but I never saw the original Justice League movie. It it it, it just looked terrible. And I mean, in that the theatrical version, right? Um, uh, the bad guy was just some no-named nobody who I didn't even... Who the fuck was Steppenwolf? Who cared about Steppenwolf? Um, so I, I skipped it. I was just like, meh. And they're like, yeah, but the after credit scene is Deathstroke. And I'm like, Deathstroke is barely a problem for Batman. He sure as fuck isn't a problem for the Justice League. Who cares about Deathstroke? That'd be the equivalent of going from Thanos to... I don't know who's who's a shit tier marvel villain bullseye it's like going from thanos to bullseye 
as like a threat for the Avengers. He's not. He's not even a like a bug on the windshield for the Avengers. So who gives a shit? Deathstroke will get his ass handed to him in 30 seconds. Sure, if it's just Batman fighting Deathstroke, then you got something. Because they're just two normal dudes. Two very well-trained normal dudes. Totally fine. But Batman's not alone anymore. He's got buddies. And there's zero stakes with that. That's, that is the, the hole that now DC has dug itself into. It's the exact same hole that we see time and time again. You have a fully unified Justice League. There are only a few beings in the DC Universe that stand a chance against all of them. And you've already set up one of them. Darkseid. Darkseid is one of the few individuals in the DC Universe who stands a chance at defeating the unified Justice League. So, you did that. Setting up Deathstroke to fight Batman is a waste of everybody's time, including Joe Mango Jello, who fucking can be off making other things instead of being Deathstroke, because he's just going to get his ass handed to him, and there's nothing he can do about that. But that's beside the point. Um, I did a little bit of research on this movie in terms of what the exact difference was and really why this was made. And as far as I can tell, the original Justice League movie was directed and filmed by two people. It was directed by Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon. And most people consider that movie to be more a product of Whedon than of Snyder. Um, even though uh, Zack Snyder had set up the, the fucking... He did, you know, Dawn of Justice and Man of Steel. And he, like, established the tone of the DC Universe. Um, and that's a powerful thing. Because Marvel... Each movie pretty much is directed by individual people here, there, and everywhere, except for uh, the Russo brothers who did Captain America 2, 3, and then Infinity War and Endgame. Joss Whedon did the first two Avengers, and then the Russo brothers did the last two Avengers. And the Russo brothers really did steer the tone of phases like 2 through 4 um, in terms of the MCU. So that's kind of their baby. Snyder is the equivalent. So, love him or hate him, his vision is what has steered this entire extended universe of films. But Warner Brothers, when the Justice League movie originally was being made, was like, fuck you. We're going to give you some stipulations. One, it's got to be under two hours. Two, your dumb shit is out. We're bringing in Whedon. We're going to bring in Joss Whedon. We love the Avengers. Great movie. He's going to fix your film. And then brought in Whedon. And Whedon filmed a bunch of shit. And then the end version of the original theatrical cut of the Justice League was 50% Snyder and 50% Whedon. And it fucking feels like it. Because the, the Frankensteining of both of those movies together made a big old pile of shit. And this is an ambitious fucking movie. Because in the Justice League, they needed to introduce... And provide background on 50% of the Justice League. Cyborg, Flash, and Aquaman all got their fucking debuts at this point in time in the Justice League movie. That's ambitious at the best of times. That's like trying to make all of Phase 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a single film. That's... You can't do it. You could. It's just gonna be bad. And that's exactly what Justice League was. It was bad. And everybody fucking hated it. Everybody who gave a shit about it was like, this is trash. And so then people were like, well, what if it was just Snyder the whole time? 
And I mean, I can fucking sympathize with that with that desire. If I could change something about movies that I enjoy, I want to go back in time and give J.J. Abrams the reins to the entire sequel trilogy of Star Wars. It might not be good, but at least it'd be tonally consistent. That's the bigger problem with the sequel movies of Star Wars, is that it goes from one direction, and then you have the eighth movie, which completely flips the script on that movie, and then the ninth movie, which tries to flip the script the fuck back, and it doesn't work. It's it's so, like, fucking incoherent as a trilogy goes. It's complete garbage. And that's because they gave it to three, like, gave it to different fucking crews, and there wasn't a consistent story. It was complete nonsense. None of it connects. It's all garbage. So, say what you will about the prequel movies, George Lucas was behind all three of those shits. Are they good? No. Do they make sense? No. But it's consistent. It is a solid story. When it's done right, you get Lord of the Rings. And that's when you fucking nail it. So, having a consistent crew, a consistent vision, is important for this shit. People might not like it, but at least you were consistent. And so people were like, give it back to Snyder. Let let Snyder do it, you know? And so Snyder was given the opportunity, I'm sure directors all over the world would kill for. He got the fan backing and the, the corporate approval to basically redo the Justice League movie as he originally saw it. So they removed every scene that Joss Whedon made from the original film. They re-shot a bunch of shit. And then they shot a bunch more shit to create this four-hour behemoth of a DC Universe movie that does a pretty decent job of setting up the 50% of the Justice League that you see on the cover. Um, you get a really good idea of what Cyborg's about. You get a pretty good idea of what Aquaman's about. I'd say the one that is developed at the least is probably Barry. Um... And you get a lot of scenes of Barry like off on his own. You're you do see Iris West. You do see that his dad's in jail, but you don't really know why in the context of this. For the record, it's because Barry's dad was framed for killing Barry's mom. But they they don't tell you that in the movie. Um, even though that would have been nice to see. Um and obviously from previous films, we have already been introduced to Ben Affleck Batman and Clark Kent Superman and Diana Prince Wonder Woman. I did not know her last name was Prince. Um, so you, you get all of those things. And it, it does a decent job. Music's pretty good. Um, the the inclusion of Darkseid in his big screen debut uh, was, was pretty fun. But that is really like jumping straight to Thanos in Avengers. Like, there wasn't a lot of buildup. And DC villains don't come much bigger than Darkseid. They're just equivalent, like Brainiac, you know? Like, it's it's not more, it's the same level of threat. So you, you jumped right for the end game, right out the gate, and there's nowhere to grow from there. That being, like, even, even then, you, you still run into the biggest problem when it comes to making compelling DC Universe movies, and that is you have fucking Superman in your story, and Superman's an unbeatable god. And there's zero tension anymore because you brought Superman back from the, from the dead in this in this film. Which, of course, you had to because it's Superman. But it's fucking Superman. This isn't a... This, what, just, but, 
There's no threat. There's nothing. It's Superman. Lex Luthor's not a threat to Superman. Darkseid's barely a threat to Superman. Doomsday was the biggest threat to Superman. And you fucking killed him. So, you just fucking... Oh, that's why the DC Extended Universe is essentially cancelled. That's the, that's the bit that gets me. Is that Warner Brothers changed tact. Instead of trying to follow the Marvel thing, because they blew their load too quickly and they didn't plan this shit out for the long game, there was nowhere for them to go. So they went back to individual movies and standalone shit. Because... That's, that was their only move, is to separate the Justice League back out into its individual elements and make it so, like, Barry Allen has a problem that he needs to take care of, and Batman has a problem that he needs to take care of. Except, it doesn't work, because you, you, it's, though they may be standalone, but you have the same actors and the same characters shot in the same style, it's the same fucking universe, which means the Justice League is still a thing, and now they're just being lazy, and they're not paying attention to your shit. Superman's canonically there! But Superman's never going to be around to solve these problems because there's no tension and you can't tell stories like that. So, yeah, they, they, they blew it. They blew it big time. That being said, if there was going to be a version of this film to kind of close the whole thing off and end it, then this is it. And to this movie's credit, they did set up possibly the only next step that they could do if they wanted to continue the DC universe and that's the death of Lois Lane and Superman becoming the villain. That's pretty much the only place you could go, which again is obvious when, when you have God on your side, the best next story is to have God turn against you. And then once again, there's no story that little unified group of heroes, Batman, Mira, Slade, Joker, don't stand a fucking chance against a mad Superman. Not, like, he could be mildly... It like, doesn't matter. Superman could be sleeping and they would all still die. Like, it doesn't matter. It's Superman. You can't kill God. So, that's... That's that's the problem with Superman. That's why it's so fucking hard to make compelling Superman stories. Now, much like the Avengers when they were dealing with Hulk being an unstoppable killing machine, they did a pretty good job showing how powerful the Justice League is. The 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 initial, like, hostage scene with Wonder Woman shows you how powerful she is. Aquaman kicks ass pretty consistently all over the fucking place. When Superman finally shows up to just annihilate Steppenwolf like he's nothing, that's exactly how it should be, because... The Justice League are enormously powerful. It is it is ludicrous how strong these people are. The fact that Batman is, like, even capable of doing anything to make him look cool is amazing. Because look at all these other guys. And then, of course, you got Barry Allen running backwards through time in order to save the world again, which is fine. I mean, that's a classic Barry Allen move. Um, and then, yeah, so... I'm getting, I'm getting a little sidetracked. The, all of these things occur in the film, and it makes total sense that they can't grow anywhere from here. The movie itself has a very long runtime. It's, you know, it's labeled as four hours. About seven of those minutes are credits. Um, the movie, bafflingly, is filmed in four by three, 
which basically means you have a perfect square in the middle of your screen that is the film. It's a little jarring and it's a little weird. Most of the time, movies are either filmed in 16 by 9 or widescreen format, which is when you've got the black bars on the top and the bottom, not the left and the right. My guess, the, I mean, it tells you straight up before you even start the movie that it's going to be in 4x3 to, quote, like, fit Snyder's original vision. My guess is that this move was done to try to make the CGI look less shit. And the CG in this movie is bad. It doesn't look good. None of it looks real. It looks animated as fuck. And there are definite scenes where you can point and be like, they're in a green screen. They're in a green screen. Everybody's in a green screen. None of the things I'm seeing on screen are real. And it for me, because I hate that shit, it was very distracting. Um, and it happens a lot. And the other thing that happens a lot are slow motion scenes of people being sad. Honest to God, I think it happens like eight times in the film. There's a slow motion scene of somebody being sad. And there were like four scenes of the same person being sad for the exact same shit spread out throughout the movie. If you took a shot every time Lois Lane was sad and in slow motion, fucking you'd be dead before the movie was over. It was, it was incredible. And like after the, like the second time, I'm like, I get it. She's sad. Stop flashing back to Lois. Nothing's changed there. She's still sad. Superman's still dead. Let it go. Like, I don't, I don't need it. It's, I don't, whatever. I don't care. And the movie, like the first hour of the movie, has at least four scenes of different people being sad in slow motion. You'll have, like, the Norwegian village who are sad for some reason uh, in slow motion. And there's a song that lasts way too long. And then Hippolyta is sad. Because she killed a bunch of her own people for no reason. Because there was a hole in the roof of the dome thing. And you're like, seal the tomb. Even though everybody in there had wings. And they did not walk through the front door. They boom-tubed their way in. What the fuck made you think that they were going to leave through the front door? You incompetent shit. Oh my god. So, yeah, the movie's got problems. For sure. While the extended runtime absolutely helps in developing your characters and establishing the scope of your film and provides somewhat decent pacing, sort of. The last, like, 90-ish minutes have a big fight scene. Um, and then there's, like, a 20-minute epilogue, which is pretty nice, um, that introduces, like, Martian Manhunter and stuff like that, um, which is fun. Uh, as well as setting up this Deathstroke Batman thing, which is never going to happen. Um, also, you get a little bit of Jared Leto's Joker at the very end of the movie in a dream sequence. And if 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 Jared Leto didn't watch like every fucking Jim Carrey movie to prep for that role, I don't know what he was doing because that is exactly what that feels like. It feels like if if Jim Carrey was the Joker. Is what Jared Leto's going for there. Uh, and it's not great. So he, he was like two seconds away from being like, Well, alrighty then! It's just like... It's, he's, it's very goofball-y. Um, and I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. It also bums me out that... We, we've skipped to like the end of the Batman Joker story. In this, in this universe. Because 
Like, they're talking about Jason Todd and how he got completely fucked by the Joker. Um, and there's, like, a lot of really good Batman stories that now they've just kind of skipped right over. Um, and I know that this is, like, Batman, like, towards the end of being Batman. Like, he's been Batman for a while in this in this canon, and that's whatever, but and that kind of bothers me as well. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of needless scenes um, that don't have to be in slow motion, but they are for emotional weight or whatever. But when it uses the exact same cinematic tool four times in an hour, it loses all impact. So, there you go. Um, it also, I mean, as far as DC stuff goes, the mother boxes and dark side and all of that shit, anti-life, um, while not like essentially deep cuts for DC comic fans are deep cuts for the general audience, okay? Marvel took a ludicrous amount of movies to set up the Infinity Stones to make that a thing. It took a long time, and it all worked back into previous films. They took their time, and it made it so the audience wasn't just throwing a fucking, like, crazy bone and having the movie be like, there are these six rocks that control the universe. And they're called the Infinity Stones. What? No, that's stupid. But this movie didn't have the fucking time for that. So instead, we got these magic boxes or machines, but it's like magic. And when they glue together, they explode the planet. But why, though? Don't worry about it. It just does. So, yeah, it's it, it doesn't doesn't really work um they really needed to ground this shit in shit that people who are not fucking big stonking nerds can appreciate now i suppose you don't have to make a movie for a general audience but sure like you do if you want to make money um that's kind of that's kind of the thing so overall i think this movie sits pretty at a solid c c minus it's definitely better than I thought it was going to be. And it is the best DC Universe movie that I've seen. Um, to the point that I'd probably see it again. I very much enjoyed it. But I'm the audience this movie is designed for. I've, I've been a fan of this shit forever. Um, and even though there's a lot of dumb shit in this movie, it's kind of fun dumb shit. All of those scenes of people being in slow motion and sad... Are a lot of fun to make fun of. Um, so there, there is a benefit to the dumb. And overall, I think this movie hits the mark more than it doesn't. The The relationship between the, the main six heroes is pretty strong. Clark's uh, resuscitation and showing how powerful he is when he's let off the chain was done really well. The CG looks like garbage still, but I mean, that's just, you know, because of me, really. Um, and my inability to have fun <laughs> um i mean not all of it looks like garbage but a lot of it does pretty much anytime there's an alien on screen it doesn't look great and then there's all the green screenshots which i'm not a big fan of either um yeah so i mean it was it was, it was pretty good it is a massive investment in time and for some reason the movie is split into parts like, it'll fade to black, and it'll be like, 
part five. And you're just like, all right, that's strange. So there's six parts in an epilogue in this film, um, which is kind of nice. Also, it almost like it almost seems like it is it is designed to be watched in installments. You know what I mean? Like when part two chimes in, you can just pause it and like go do something else and then come back to it. Because uh, to ask an audience member to sit there for four hours straight is a lot. Like I took a break. I I made it about two and a half hours in, or like two hours and ten minutes in, I think, and then I took a break. Um, and then a couple of days later, I came back and finished it, um, the remaining hour and 50 minutes. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's not bad. Take your time with it. Going with pretty low expectations. My expectations could not have been lower for this movie. Um, cause I went in thinking that it was going to be garbage. And for the first while I was, I was basically confirmed, um, that it's not the best. Uh, and it isn't the best, but it is better than all of the other ones. And I think in terms of an extended DC Universe movie, you probably couldn't ask for more on the big screen. Um, I think you see you see a lot of DC characters, a lot of really good DC characters make an appearance in this film. Um, even side characters like uh, Roy Cho, um, or whatever the fuck his name is, uh, the guy that eventually becomes uh, the Atom. Uh, is in that movie and you know it's just it's kind of fun and there's there's a lot of teases and things like that of other of other characters throughout the film so it's it's as good as a DC fan could possibly hope for on on the big screen and of course if you want to see like a good Justice League show or movie just watch the animated Justice League show um, that is probably your best bet uh, if you want more because I doubt we're ever going to see anything like this in the big screen again. Warner Brothers just doesn't seem to think it's viable. Um, although, who knows? Maybe the maybe the feedback from Snyder's cut will make Warner Brothers sit up and pay attention. Because it did tremendously well critically, this this version of the movie. Uh, like, it, like, the original one got like a 40% of Rotten Tomatoes. This one got like 75, I want to say. And fans love this movie. Um, so, who knows? Maybe, maybe this will be enough to sway them back in that direction. Uh, and if that is the case, please, for the love of God, do not do the Lois Lane is dead, Superman becomes a bad guy movie. D something else. Anything else. Give, give the people one more fucking movie, or at least a full movie, of Superman being a good guy. Because you haven't, really. Superman in Man of Steel is seen as an enemy, and then he's revealed to be a hero at the end. Batman versus Superman, he's kind of a hero a little bit, but then Batman's like, nah, fuck this guy. And then they fight, and then he's a bad guy again. But then right at the end, he kills, you know, he's there for Doomsday, and then he dies. And then in this movie, he spends 75% of the runtime being dead, gets brought back to life, is instantly attacks the Justice League, spends a good 20 minutes standing in a cornfield remembering who the fuck he is, then he comes in for about three minutes of action to be the hero again, then to stand like side by side with everybody else. Okay, your next movie cannot be Lois Lane is dead and Superman's the bad guy again. You can't do it. You got to give the people one fucking movie of Superman being full blown Superman. At least one. I don't care if he's basically a god and that your movie's not gonna have any stakes. One movie. Your next move cannot be to turn him into a villain.
because you already have almost nowhere to go, that's the last place you can go. Because once you kill Lois Lane, there's no coming back from that, and Superman now has to die again. Like, there's, that's, you, you, you gotta fucking stay the course. So either you bring in Darkseid, or you bring in Brainiac, or the Lantern Corps, I don't know. But, you gotta fucking, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta figure it out. Because, I think, I think the, the fan response to this is pretty strong. And if you came out with something else, um, in this vein, maybe not four hours, but I think, I think you figured it out. I think, I think they finally sussed out what it takes to make a good DC movie. Um, and now they just kind of need to stick with it. And the key is consistency. Consistency and theme. That's the key. You know, it's not for everybody, but at least it's, people know what they're walking into. That's what's the key. Marvel has a consistency when it comes to theming. And Marvel's consistent theme is that they make good fucking movies. Marvel could make a movie about any Marvel character. And their amassed goodwill from their fan base is so strong and powerful that they will see it. Doesn't matter who it is. They did it with Guardians of the Galaxy, who nobody knew about ahead of time. They're about to do it again. With the Eternals and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Most people don't know what any of that means. But they're making movies about it. And we trust them. Because Marvel has the best track record when it comes to this shit. So. DC, like Warner Brothers, this is this is this this is your start now. You, you did good here. Now build off of it. If you want to compete. This is your last best chance. Is you have to build off of the hype of Snyder's Cut of Justice League. Because that's what he's done for you now. Has made a decent DC Universe movie that is ready to go. Just keep the ball rolling. Just don't do any of the obvious shit. Just fucking figure something else out. I don't know what. I don't know what. Flashpoint Paradox, that could be fun. Um... Superman's a villain in that one too, but then there's also like the Amazonians versus the Atlanteans, so there's like more stuff going on there. I don't know. They'll figure it out. Or they won't, and they'll stay their course and continue to make dumb shit like Activision. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I enjoyed it. That's the takeaway from this. So, so there you go. And finally this week, I want to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is Clowns. Now, hear me out. So, here's, here's, this has been, this has been a soapbox of mine for a while. I posit that clowns themselves are not scary. However, they are constantly depicted in manners that are scary. For example, in American Horror Story, uh, the only episode of American Horror Story I ever saw was, there was this fucking clown person named Happy, I think, and... He looks terrible. And he doesn't have a lower jaw. He looks terrifying. But it's not because he's a clown that makes it terrifying. It's because he doesn't have a lower jaw. And his face is covered in like pustules and stuff, right? Pennywise the clown is scary because of all the scary shit he does. Not because he's a clown. 
if it was Pennywise the plumber, he'd probably be just as scary. You know, like a clown in and of themselves, it's not scary. However, because society has depicted clowns as terrifying individuals for a very long time, clowns being the tropes of horror content has been going on for decades. Now society has been conditioned to view all clowns, regardless of whatever the fuck they're doing, you can see a clown tying up a balloon animal and somewhere in the back of your head it's going to be like, and then the clown murders the children. Like, it's just because clowns get a bad rap. It is not the profession itself. It is, it is, it's not the makeup. It's not the wigs. All of those things when taken out of this context of clown are not scary. There's nothing scary about any of that stuff. However, the package and then the societal context of that package is scary. Because we have constantly depicted that particular profession as being terrifying a million times over. So, that's that's the thing. So, when somebody says they're afraid of clowns, I don't think that's the case. I think they're afraid of fear. Because, again, it's not the clown itself. It's what the clown has been altered to become. It's what the clown does that's scary. A murderer... In a clown costume is scary because he's a murderer, not because he's in a clown costume. There's there's a key distinction there. So this is this is basically me being like, don't judge the clown because they're a clown. Judge them because they're a psychopathic killer. That hap just happens to be in a clown costume. I mean. Where, where do we draw the line, you know? Michael Myers uses a butcher knife to murder his victims, right? But I use a butcher knife to, like, fucking cut up apples. You know? It's, it's, it's all about context. It's all about context, right? Just because they're a clown doesn't mean they're evil. However, if they're evil and dressed as a clown, then that's, you know, that's them being evil. That also happens to be dressed as a clown. We cannot generalize all clowns based on the actions of a few. That is racism. <laughs> it's, it's, it's generalizing. It's stereotyping. You can't. You just can't do that. That's never okay. So give clowns a break, people. Because if you inserted any other profession into the, the, the horrors that Pennywise the Clown or Happy the Clown and American Horror Story or any other famous evil clown then it would it'd be just as bad of a problem, you know? That's, that's, that's the point I'm making. Just, you know, separate it out. You're not afraid of clowns. You're afraid of all of the horrible atrocities and fucked up images that have been drawn through the clown kaleidoscope. It's not clowns. It's the horror elements that have been stapled onto clowns. So, and I know nowadays clowns have all but vanished from the, the cultural zeitgeist or with the death of like real-time circuses and carnivals and stuff like that. Um, and because of the social changes that have occurred, the odds of like a, a new family hiring like an entertainment clown for their birthday seems pretty low. You probably wouldn't go to a party that had a clown there. You might go to a party if it's got like a fucking magician there. But there's plenty of movies of magicians being bad people, too. 
and equally as horrifying. But do they get the same rap? Fuck no. You're like, fuck, magic is cool. But clowns, fuck clowns. Give clowns, give clowns a break. They're just doing their job. They're just trying to make you smile. They're not scary. It's the, it's the man that makes them scary. Anyway, so that's my, that's my little soapbox on clowns. Um, I just couldn't figure out where else to put that in the podcast. I wanted to talk about that for a while, because uh, that's that's something that I've I've been bouncing around in my my brain space for for quite some time. But there's never really been a uh, a good window for it. So now I found it. Anyway, thank you all very much for listening to this week's episode of the Going Up Cast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a it was a pretty beefy episode. A lot to talk about this week. Um, and yeah, it was it was really good. Give clowns a break. Leave clowns alone. Um, And I will see you all next week for another brand new episode. Have a good one, everyone.